Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Been this, me Aiden, him Sam, you audience, and I'm Sam. All right, that's it. That's all I wanted to do. That's that's my stupid ass intro that I had that I had planned. (laughs) The one, the intro that unfortunately you didn't record while we discussed, but you begged me. You literally begged me to make that the intro. Yeah. Yeah. And it was worth it. Was <laughs> Congratulations. it? Congratulations. Was yes. it though? Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Well, you. So, I mean, uh, I I had that idea, and I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be so funny. And I'm not sure if it really was, but uh, you know, you have to. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Uh, yeah. Abraham Lincoln said that. Uh, fairly sure Michael of that. Scott. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. Um, Legendary just, philosopher. Yes. All right. So uh, in Spin This News, uh, this is a special occasion of a podcast because it's the first time where we've actually edited and released all of the pre-existing episodes, except for the secret episodes, of course. Yeah. Or you mean the hidden episodes. But those yes. those are all scuffed. They were not edited because they were originally part of the episodes. They contain the best elements, but, you know, I, I shouldn't talk about them because most fans have already listened to them. Yeah, and the true fans are well aware of the hidden episode. Especially that uh, that time where I talked about all of my uh, failed marriages and stuff like that. Uh, that was a good yeah. That was a good moment. Uh, yeah, it was, and it was, the brutal divorces were a great follow-up. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's all for the story, right? Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the chronological numerical episodes, this is the first time we're recording an episode, whereas episode nine, we're recording after we released episode eight. So we're actually yeah. on track of our editing and not just ahead on our recordings. Keeping to our more austere runtime was probably a good call. Yes, the best of calls. It was the best of calls. It was the best of calls. Yeah. Okay, so... Um how have you been lately creatively have you been making any new music i i i did do a little bit of uh music stuff yesterday where i was doing some editing on my millennial millennium song oh yeah uh and by editing i mean i deleted a lot of stuff that i didn't like really um yeah mainly i didn't like the bass that i recorded and i can't harmonize with myself quite to the standard i'm hoping to yet but hopefully that'll become a thing. It's not an easy thing to do. For sure. It's not. No. Because you have to like, you have to almost think up another, another line and make sure that that line harmonizes with the, with the bass line, not the bass line, but the, the whatever original line is line. the original melodic line. Yeah. Like the melody. Yeah. 
That's the word. Well, I mean, like they're, of they're, all the vocabulary that you use in this podcast, technically you they're didn't both know the word melody. Well, I mean, technically they're both melody unless unless one of them is a counterpoint, right? So I mean, like yeah, you didn't use the term melody for either of them. Yeah, well, I said melodic lines. This is essentially <laughs> synonymous. <laughs> well, he said baseline, and he said not baseline. Yeah, and then I corrected myself to melodic line. I'll allow it. <laughs> Motion uh, to dismiss. Then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then I did do a small amount of recording on my cellular telephone of guitar because I came up with an interesting thing uh, that I didn't want to forget. And then it seemed like I was at one point, I was very good at recording or I was very good at playing the guitar. And then as soon as I hit the record button, I was very bad at playing the guitar. Yeah, well, that that is customary. Yeah. It's kind of a uh, one of those psychological uh, phenomena. Exactly. Where you can't play guitar anymore as soon as you hit a record button. Recording anxiety. Yeah, performance anxiety. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it happens to the best of us. It's, you know, a, it's a Freudian sexual thing, right? Yeah. Because performing music is sort of like, uh, like having sex in a way. You're making love to the microphone. <laughs> You're making love <laughs> to the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Envelop. That mountain. <laughs> yeah, I so I I haven't really been doing anything creative lately. I have I've been kind of conceptualizing some ideas in my head. But what I have been doing is something that I like to do and I've been doing for some time, which is just invent genres. Okay. Uh, as we know, I I have a rich history of inventing genres such as uh, you know, abstract dubstep and uh yeah. you know, vapor And you know, vapor I house. heard uh disco music. That was you as well, right? Yeah, way back in the day. Way back in the day. That's ancient history now. But they don't usually attribute that to me, which is a shame. Uh, yeah. you know, that's I just the way the music industry know, works. History books uh, noted as being several decades before you were born. But well, I, I know the truth. I fought and lost to maintain <laughs> maintain the uh, my, my uh, credit to creating disco music. But history is written by the victors, and I did not win. Yeah. So yeah, wait, wait. I've got abstract, dubstep, um, vapor house, which is vaporwave, but in house music, I basically just combine genres, but uh, or just put like abstract or something like that in front of it. But what I did was I invented one recently called math flamenco, right? Which is like flamenco, math but flamenco. Uh, flamenco, but with uh, more of a math rock kind of tilt, like it's kind of synthesizing both uh, genres together, I guess you could say. Is so, math rock like there was a schoolhouse rock? You know, you know that. Yeah, that was the stylistic origin of math rock. No, no, no. But like <laughs> math rock was like um, I don't remember any of the math episode songs. I remember like uh, the adverb song and like uh, this is the tale of Mister Morton. Adverb okay, rock didn't take off. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, yeah, so math rock is more about like uh, you know. You know, rock music, but with more, uh, you know, dissonance and like, uh, you know, complex time signatures and stuff like that. Like, you know, seven, yeah, eight a, time and stuff like that. There's a guitarist on YouTube that I've seen that does like covers of songs with math rock. And I still yeah. don't know what math rock is, but I've seen him like he did Wonderwall as a math rock song. Yeah. Well, I mean, like bands like uh, like Slint or uh, I don't really actually listen to a lot of math rock, but like Slint. And I've never and, heard of Slint. And to Slint are cool. I actually sent you a Slint song just a second ago. 
But oh, okay, so, then I have heard one slint song. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know, like, but but like you would have that, I and mean, you would incorporate that with flamenco. You could have like a four bar Andalusian cadence, but you would like divide it up so that the uh, it's in like a complex time signature, or there's like a more contemporary percussion section accompanying it, or something like that. Okay, so just kind of like beefing it up a bit with some uh, complexities. Yeah, synthesizing. Well, I mean, like flamenco music already itself is pretty complex, but um, more uh, outside the genre type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Issues. Putting a lot of like unconventional twists on it. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like everybody at some point discovers like complex time signatures and like, oh, how how can we how can we do this? You know what I'm saying? It's like I do know it, what you were saying. It's more so like, can you pull it off and not have have it sound awkward? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I mean I've, I I'd be curious to hear what whatever you named that genre. Math flamenco. Flamenco. No, flamenco math. Math flamenco. Yeah. Yeah, math flamenco. I, I'd like to hear what that sounds like at some point to be able to understand it. Yeah. The other one that I invented recently. It's not really a genre. Uh, it's anthropological music, which is like okay you examine music from more of like a cultural perspective and a development of cultural perspective. And it can be a genre because what you can do is that you can incorporate elements of music from disparate cultures into your music in order to kind of, like you said, beef it up a little, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, I, I already talked about dead can dance. I think, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it was on this podcast, but we, we talked about dead can dance, I think. Yeah. At some point, uh, I feel like their music could be categorized as anthropological music because they incorporate a lot of elements from, you know, Arabic music and, you know, Iberian music, that kind of thing. So it's human music. Yeah, I guess you could say. But I mean, like uh, in like in the in the manner in Earth which radio. Yeah. Whatever you just said. <laughs> <laughs> it said Earth radio. Human music. Yeah. Terrestrial radio. Rick and Morty joke. Oh, I don't know that. I am not sure if I've seen that episode. Oh. The simulation within a simulation. Jerry listens to human music on the radio. The Earth radio. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I know what you're talking about. See, the true huh, fans would get music. that joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So I mean, but you you yourself have uh, thrown your hat into the the genre creation mix too. I mean, you've created pseudo jazz. And I created that one hit genre wonder. Yeah. And I haven't made any real strides in any of my other genres. Yeah. But pseudo jazz uh, is something that I feel like is fertile ground for development. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, I got to really find an inspiration to pursue it further. Like I did a couple of songs that I would categorize as pseudo jazz mm-hmm. earlier this year, but uh, I've not really... I didn't feel like I'd done anything that kind of made them expanding the genre. They were just genre songs. You know what I mean? I like the idea of a genre being typified by how it's perceived by an outsider almost. What do you mean? Because that's that's sort of how you you came up with pseudo jazz, right? It's not really jazz, but it's like an idea, an abstract kind of idea of jazz. Well, it's it's more, it's jazz written by someone that, doesn't know all the jazz theory exactly exactly yeah so like okay so expanding on that further if you did like pseudo trap 
where I'm not someone that's really listened to any trap music, but if I just put together what I assume is the steps of a trap song and that would be pseudo trap. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's not a very complex genre. Yeah. But like, but without actually studying the genre in, in depth, you, you, you approach it from your vague conceptualization of the genre almost. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Almost. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe uh, if I hadn't already had an album called pseudo classics, that'd be a great, idea for an album yeah to just like approach different genres without studying them uh in depth in any way yeah you just kind of well i mean like in some senses i feel like that is sort of how genres develop in some way in in some sense i mean like uh the one that i am most interested in is the music of you know andalusia right uh, i don't know what that is well yeah that's it's like spanish music right so okay. Spanish music, uh, you know, particularly our perception of it, which is like Spanish guitar music, which is typified yeah. by musical theory elements like the Phrygian mode and the Phrygian dominant scale and the Andalusian cadence, which is just like the descending minor cadence. Like in A minor, yeah. it would be A minor, G to F to E major, right? That's the Andalusian cadence. Um but uh, those, all of those elements came from a, a kind of mixture of cultures in the Iberian Peninsula, which is you know Spain and Portugal after the Moors uh, uh, conquered Spain and then occupied that territory for a little while, because the Moors were a North African culture, and that's the why moops? you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the Moops. <laughs> yeah, the 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 language of the mo- of the Moops. Now I'm, now I'm gonna say it, uh, or the, the the musical uh, you know vocabulary of that um, region kind of migrated northwards to the to Spain, what is now Spain, and uh, that's why flamenco music, for example, sounds a lot like it does, right? Or a lot of other music from that region, such as yeah. what eventually became Spanish classical music, right? But I think right. it probably came out of how you know native Spanish people perceived the Moorish music that was brought you know northwards from the kind of Berber colonies in the North Africa. So yeah, like it's definitely interesting to think where sort of music comes from in a lot of ways. Like yeah. you know, I mean, the obvious examples are like when you know you had uh, blues music evolving into rock music, Absolutely. and then that evolving into like you know you had disco and, and funk and all these other things, and they've all kind of jumped off each other and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what was the first music, do you think? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's probably it's probably prehistoric, right? I mean, we, we probably yeah. don't even have any record of it, right? Probably. Like, I, I think in terms of the first written music, I assume it's like a monk singing and writing it down in a church kind of thing, like gospel well, not gospel music, but um, uh, church hymns and shit like that. Well, no, I mean, I think... Uh, so, like, going for even further back into, like, millennia, okay, BC. banging on a rock with another rock? Essentially, yeah. So we've rock got, music. like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and that uh, ties into the intro the original that now rock. retroactively makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the OG rock, if you would say. But, I mean, like, it, it, it probably came from tetraglyphs from, like, the early civilizations like Mesopotamia. I'm just guessing, right? Uh, yeah. Or I think it might have been, uh, uh, like music in uh like central europe like one of the old like earlier uh you know uh indo-european cultures that uh 
that etched their music into petroglyphs. I think, uh, I don't know, but, um, probably the first music was actually like a bird or something like not a human. Like yeah. I'd assume that they heard a bird and like, Oh shit. I thought you were talking for a minute feet. about like, uh, a like a, a sexy woman, <laughs> <laughs> a sexy, what's she doing? Uh, with that bird? <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, like animals and shit like that, that have like the bird calls and I assume other animals might do that. I'm, I assume they did it before a human did it. You know, the etymology of the term muse came from muses, which were the daughters of Zeus in ancient Greece. Uh, I know that because I recently watched Hercules. I, I knew the muses were yeah. who they are. Yeah. yeah, they were some sassy ladies. Yeah, and they sung some, some good songs like Zero to Hero. Essential. Oh, that, I think that's one movie where I feel like the, the music therein surpasses the film itself yeah i think the 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 film is kind of i uh, you know it's not on the same ranks as other disney classics but the songs are great especially does, danny devito's song it does contain within it an interesting criticism of the idea of the athlete and the yeah. kind of consumerism <laughs> surrounding it i love it's definitely like uh that's probably the the biggest depth it has <laughs> yeah the, the social critique of uh, becoming a uh, an athlete influencer, and then like Danny DeVito, of course, you know, that that he adds depth just by being there. He's got one last hope, and he hopes it's you. Yeah, that was a song he sang. I mean, that's uh, we can talk about genres uh, probably more in the future. I I, I feel yeah. like I want to talk about a little more about genres, maybe, uh, but uh, just as an amorphous concept. But you know, we could yeah. do that like later on and other episodes and shit, just like revisit it. I probably should probably continue to our next yeah. section. Now if that you we've want. entirely alienated my mother listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we probably said like a lot of concepts that uh, she doesn't really like. Well, this is a learning podcast. Like, but... We're sponsored by PBS. <laughs> Whatever the Russian PBS is. <laughs> Putin broadcasting system. Yeah. <laughs> um okay so i we got some news of the news and commentary i don't know why the the document says otherwise but you want to start with your news um yeah i only had one news um and it's mostly uh to do with the headline that caught my attention i read the article but i mostly skimmed it but the headline Mm -hmm. says it all uh which is a life lesson to take away in life in general Mm -hmm. just read the headlines you get most of the story there anyways. True. <laughs> but anyways, the headline was vinyl outsells CDs for the first time in decades. Yeah. And I mean, I was just going to say, it surprised me that people still buy CDs. Yeah. No, that that's like pretty much precisely what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, vinyl is something that I think is a lot less superfluous than a CD because CD, you might as well just buy music online or just pay for uh, a subscription to spotify or apple music or whatever yeah so it, it doesn't really surprise me i mean i guess it surprises me that vinyl is still so predominant but uh you know uh people like vinyl I, and you know there's nothing necessarily wrong with it i think it's a bit overpriced overall but i mean if you can find good vinyl for a decent price then it's possible yeah like i assume that this uh revenue is referring to new vinyl not like the used vinyl market which is probably where uh, like more than 90% of any vinyl that I've ever owned uh, has been from, you know, secondhand. Yeah. I don't really know what to think of 
of uh, how to perceive those numbers where uh like i i wouldn't think that vinyl production in 2020 is uh as comparably big as the size of cd production but then again why are they making so many cds yeah um like vinyl is more for a collecting thing or someone that uh, is a snob of technology or a snob of music quality, I guess. Hmm. Um, I'm, mine is mostly of, you know, collecting and, you know, yeah. cool shit like that. Well, I mean, like, uh, so this is maybe a critique that I have in particular, but for, for music quality, I mean, vinyl is, you know, all right. I mean, it's technically it's an analog form, but... I mean, you could just as easily get a like a, a dot wav or a dot flack file, for example, harkening uh, yeah. back to the uh, prophet Vlad um, uh, talking of uh, the the coming of flack. But uh, you know, you know, what I'm saying like that. You know, for quality, at least as far as human perception goes, I mean, lossless files are just as good as vinyl, and you also don't don't get right. a lot of the the mechanical artifacts that vinyl record players cause, right? You know what I'm saying? Like if I wanted the best audio quality from vinyl, I'd probably start with getting a real set of speakers rather than like the cheap things that came with like an iPod docking surround system kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that like, at least in my experience or my life, uh, vinyl, uh, like the you know just putting on an album as like an activity is kind of the appeal of it mm-hmm. where you kind of just oh I'll, I'll pick this album you put it on then uh you know it, it, you measure a length of time of enjoying it by that whereas spotify or listening to music on an iphone or an ipod or mp3 player or whatever kind of the convenience of it i guess sure. kind of the honestly when i'm on a bus or going somewhere, walking somewhere, I'll have music on in the background. Or if I'm trying to find something new that I haven't listened to before, that's where I kind of go to as the default, uh, you know, system. Like I wouldn't uh, invest money in a vinyl record for a band that I'm not familiar with, but I would like invest an hour of time listening to an album by a band I've never heard of on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of segues a bit into what I wanted to talk about concerning streaming. Whether we like it or not, streaming is the predominant form of consuming music, at least in terms of recorded music, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I believe in 2020, as far as second half goes, I think the market share for recorded music has gone from 80% in 2018 and 2019 to 85% in uh, the first half of 2020. Uh, so, I mean, we're seeing the rise of, of streaming uh, We're we're in it. It's, you know, it's not something that a lot of people are disputing, but what I was thinking about was what is the implication of streaming to the artist? And mm-hmm. it appears as though there are, there's actually a lot of controversy surrounding that. Uh, not a lot of people have their, their minds made up on what are the, what are the ultimate implications of that? Two things, uh, that I wanted to talk about. One was that, um, Actually, when it comes to, uh, you know, streaming music, uh, the percentage that goes to the artist is actually uh, actually differs widely by uh, that, that artist's position in the market as it already stands. There's actually a greater stratification now between the artists that are 
you know, for example, represented by independent labels, as opposed to the major labels, which are not only benefiting most from streaming, but also, uh, you know, benefiting most from live music revenue as well. Uh, I think uh, the top 1% of earners in the live music industry earn, I think, 70% of the live music revenue. And, Mm -hmm. um, And this applies to many industries, as we're seeing with automation and everything like that is the evolution of further stratification of the, you know, the producers who actually make, create the music, uh, distributing that music and then profiting from that music to much of a lower extent than, say, a record label. A lower percentage of streaming revenue goes to the artist and the publishers than it does to the actual recording label or the record label in this case. And mm. in that case, in, in most cases, it's the three major labels, Warner Music Group, I think Sony and uh, Universal Music Group that benefit the most from that. Um, however, and this goes back to the theory that I discussed last episode in episode eight, uh, I think that uh, I think Artist Direct now, Artist Direct refers to artists directly benefiting from streaming as opposed to uh, them being represented by either a major or an independent label. Uh, have benefited quite a bit from you know streaming on aggregate. I think it was 80, 879 million was generated by um, Artist Direct, which is still a, a like quite a small portion, but that that is growing over time. And it, while it is growing at kind of an incremental pace, uh, it could spell like a different paradigm in which we uh, you know distribute music. Right? You know what I'm saying? I think so. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of information. I, you know, I, I think we're... Yeah, I know, true. But I think we are kind of like at a, a watershed moment as far as, you know, music distribution goes. Especially yeah, with I'm, streaming becoming the predominant form of uh, music distribution. Well, yeah, uh, looking back on this article, I can see that uh, 30, back, $376 million uh for the first half of 2020 was the revenue of physical media sales so uh, and 62 percent of that 232 million uh was vinyl sales mm-hmm. so whatever the remainder of that is the cd sales and but it also says uh digital download revenue was 351 million um yeah. so that uh i mean it's you know a comparable number to the combined sales of uh, vinyl and CD, but I mean, obviously bigger than either of them ind- independently. Uh, and then uh, ad supported uh, uh, music streaming was 421 million. Yeah. So that apparently, I mean, that obviously shows where the, I mean, at least where the most, the most revenue is being generated from the music industry, at least uh, in terms of consumers. Yeah. And I think it's, I think that um, what you just mentioned, the ad-supported on-demand, this is ad-supported on-demand audio and video, right? That's... Uh, uh, well, I mean, just as streaming. So uh, in, in reference to music, I would assume that means like Spotify and probably YouTube and things like that. Yeah, I think... So as far as streaming goes, the, the figures for mid-2020, the total revenue from streaming services is $4.8 billion, right? Page subscriptions make up most of that. Actually, ad-supported on-demand music actually makes up a small sliver of that. 
And then the rest of it is what is called digital and customized radio services, which are, uh, wow. you know, like Pandora and shit. So when we were talking about vinyl and digital, that actually, uh, you know, it's peanuts in comparison to what page subscription revenue is. So, uh, but I mean, yeah. I mean, even though the, the, there are some tectonic shifts as far as the percentage of market share in, in digital music, uh, we are seeing overall a positive trend as far as the revenue earned from paid, paid subscriptions and other forms of streaming media. I think over the last few years, ad-supported on-demand audio has kind of remained mostly stagnant. I think it's mostly paid subscription that is seeing most of the uh, increases in revenue over time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to see what if what I'm looking at like so the RIAA which is the Recording uh, Industry Association of America they basically do like a, a music industry recap for the American music industry CDs had 10.2% which is 129.9 million in the first half of 2020 which is a that is a downward trend of 45.2% damn that's probably the most significant change as, uh, that I'm seeing in this whole thing as far as shifting trends goes. So I think it's the CD market that's really suffering. Yeah, people don't like CDs anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, CDs are just not worth it. Yeah, I don't think I have a dedicated CD player. I guess I could play a CD like in my Xbox. Yeah. I assume that will work. Other than that, I don't think I have anything that would play a CD without... You know, installing a disk drive in a computer. I wonder what the supply chain production cost for for um, CDs are, because I know that for CDs it requires silver, which means that you usually have to mine it from a, a foreign country, and which means that, uh, and then you bring that to a different company, and then you know what I'm saying, like if there's a supply chain involved. So what I'm wondering is like, what if it's cheaper to actually produce vinyl? Because we were talking about the cost of production earlier i mean we might have i'm not sure i would assume yeah, that vinyl know. would be more expensive to produce i would assume like i don't know uh, i mean in terms of the materials i would assume uh if it doesn't involve like mining in a foreign country that would be cheaper i think it's mostly the uh the uh the means of production like the capacity to produce an amount of vinyl like i don't know how many companies would be producing vinyl records compared to CDs. I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to guess that it costs less to produce CDs. I'm I'm thinking like vinyl is a is a like a polymer, like it's a plastic. So that it means yeah. it actually has to be produced using a whole bunch of different chemicals that are mixed together at high temperatures, right? So uh I'm gonna, I'm assuming that that's probably cost a lot more. I think that's probably why yeah. CDs were were propagated much more, especially in their advent in the, uh, you know, late '80s, early '90s, all the way to the early 2000s. So, yeah, yeah, that's probably right. Anyway, I want to visit revisit that later, but we can uh, move on if you like. Yeah, did we want to jump into some Joe Pass, Joe Smash? Yeah. Joe Pass or Joe Smash. <laughs> was that a, a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or something? Or? Uh, it was. It was supposed to be 
It's supposed to emulate jazz, but it didn't sound anything like jazz. Okay, it sounded it like, like Joe Pass. <laughs> the, the little, uh, uh, you know, right as soon as the lights go down before the questions are to be said, sound from uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, that's, yeah, that's what I'm going for. You guessed it. Sorry, I'm looking up the lyrics to the first Joe Pass, Joe Smash song. Oh, yeah, because you wanted to do your recitation. Yeah, so... uh. Gather we'll round, in, children. The trap lord has a recitation to do. In the last episode, uh, I felt like upon in the edit, I felt like I was a little bit sour um, because I had wanted to do uh, the recitation of the trap game for the song WAP. And I didn't do it because it felt like a dead meme at that point. And uh, Ben Shapiro uh, beat me to the post. Yeah. Um, but now that we're doing this a little more, uh, we're, we're trying to have a quicker turnaround on these episodes and the editing and everything. So maybe some of these won't be like a dead meme by the time I do it. And I don't know if this one's really a meme in any way, but, uh, I liked, uh, this one. So the, the song that I'm talking about, I don't know if you listened to it yet, but it's called two, two by six, nine. I did listen to it. Okay. Um, I listened to both of them. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm trying to find this part of the song that I really liked because it reminded me of a song that I think is better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know it used the word swag a few times, and that's the hint of the song that I think is better. Okay, so, well, first off, I did think this song was better than my other uh, uh, encounters with 6ix9ine. His style is using auto-tune on rap, uh, and as much as I don't like that, I felt like this was better than other six nine songs that I've heard, uh, and it was kind of fun uh, in terms of it being uh, what it was. Uh, it's kind of a it, it felt like a very silly uh, lyrical song, uh, kind of in the you know the the braggy uh, rap stuff. It felt like a bit over the top, and uh, since that's what he's going for, I think he did a good job with it. Uh, it's it's still a Joe Pass for me in general, but I thought uh, it was a step up. But I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to give my 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 I want to return to my domain of the trap game. Do it. Uh, up. I, will, I will. I'll recite some of my uh, some of my more favorite bits because you can't bop like this. Uh uh. Everybody want my swag. Everybody want my drip. Uh uh-uh. uh. Had to tell him back back. Tell him get off my dick. Uh uh-uh. uh. Watch me do the money dance. Watch me hit my skip. Uh uh-uh. uh. But you can't do it like this. No, you can't do it like this. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey. Uh. So. Uh. And the song that uh it reminded me of is something that i will that i will that will be my soundcloud shout out uh but i'll do it right now just because i'm already talking about it and i won't do it later uh so uh i sent it to you before um it's by a guy that i went to elementary school with uh and he goes by ej suave on soundcloud i knew him as ely in real life but he does uh rap songs and the song was called swag to infinity and <laughs> that's like my like unironically it's my favorite rap song that exists 
because uh, pretty much the entire line of the song is like a version of, you know, I got swag, you know, I got swag. I got so much swag. <laughs> I got swag. <laughs> can we clip the song? Do you th- should we, we should probably get his permission, but we should clip uh, the song if we can. Yeah. Uh, if we can get his permission, we'll use it as the outro for this. Okay. Do you, are um, you in like contact with him? Like, can you send him a message or something? I probably haven't talked to him in like 15 years. <laughs> but <laughs> Longer than that. Uh, whenever eighth grade was. Uh, but he follows me on SoundCloud and I follow him and we like each other's stuff back and forth a few times. Cool. But I think like this it, swag to infinity uh, achieves uh, like whether it's, you know, for whatever, you know, legitimate perspective on rap or uh, for the memeing of rap or uh, whatever it was, I feel like it did it better than six, nine does it. Yeah. And I, I uh, like it seems uh, a lot of the uh, tracks that EJ Suave does with various uh, uh, people that he's uh, uh, affiliated with doing songs with, like he's got a lot of the same featuring names and titles. Um, I feel like they've got some good sounds coming out of them. And there's a line from the Swag to Infinity song that I think about like on a weekly basis where I got so much swag, I just had to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know why I think about that all the time, but it's like, fuck yeah, I had so much swag, I just had to tell him. And that's like the summary of the song. And I feel like that's the same message that 6 9 does in his song, where he thinks he's got so much swag, he just has to tell him in song form. Uh, but I feel like EJ Suave does it way better. I I would assume so. I mean, like, so I'm I'm not really personally a fan of 6 9 uh, yeah. you know, I, so far, I think we've covered a few of his tracks, right? We, we yeah. did. And, and I don't think he's Pulse. got a single smash. Yeah. I don't think he has so far. Well, I mean, he like earned it. Like, you know, despite our opinions, he has crystallized himself as one of the, you know, top earners in music, at least right now. Uh, he's probably has, he, I would, I would assume he has several singles in the top 100. Yeah, I think this one was uh, was up there. He recently put out an album. I think uh, Fantano panned it. I think he gave it like a three out of ten or something like that. Yeah, which is probably one of the only uh, reviews of his that I really I like when he just like goes off on shit when he like dunks on shit. Yeah, well, I mean, so, like, so I didn't really have a whole lot to say about it. I mean, I did, yeah. I guess in a positive light, I um, I like that it was a little more melodic. It sounded yeah. like there was a little more of a hook quality to it, and it uh, it almost sounded like it had had a bit, bit of a bell tone thing kind of going, like a vibraphone or some kind of mm-hmm. marimba playing that kind of uh, you know more upbeat uh, hook. Um, I thought there was a little more of a harmonic progression, which is something that is not very common, especially with a lot of these songs that just tend to play a sample and then kind of you know, do like an ad hoc set of verses over top of it. This, yeah. It seems like this song had a little more structure, which is nice. I'm not saying that, you know, that's something that makes it better or worse as far as the metric that other people would evaluate this kind of music for. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, oddly enough, this is one instance where 6 9 has put out a song that is the only one that you know that is actually better than all of the other songs that we've done that are currently in our Joe Pass and or and or Joe Smash 
for this week <laughs> because the other song as well, I'm sure we're about to discuss uh was uh while you know not particularly fantastic definitely not as good okay well, we'll <laughs> you think so? okay I, well, I mean I enjoyed the video uh of the next one but I, I will say uh, as a final note on 69 um yeah, I, d- I agree that musically it sounded more interesting, at least in terms of other 6 9 songs that we've done and other songs of the genre. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever your opinion is on uh, auto-tune for vocals, I feel like it 100% doesn't work with, like, the rapping style. Like, that really just makes it kind of difficult to listen to. Yeah. Um. Like, I would rather Maybe. listen to auto-tune singing than auto-tune rapping. It just sounds obnoxious. Yeah. I, I guess they, they probably just left that plug-in on while, while, while <laughs> they didn't did mean to. They did by accident. Just, just keep um, Melodyne on while he's, uh, while he's rapping. I would like the twist reveal to be that that's actually how he sounds in real life when he talks. <laughs> uh, so our other song, it was a song... Called pop star yeah. uh it was a dj khaled song featuring drake yeah and the video was starring justin bieber and i only saw the i saw the video i didn't listen to the song independently of the video yeah i i actually listened to the song twice um and fancy and interestingly so i it sounded like i was about to pan this song um uh, mm. you know if i'll give uh six nine a a middling joe joe pass you know yeah it's it's, it's, it's a high joe pass yeah, a hydro pass. Yeah, it's like if he was trying to to pass the course, he wouldn't Joe pass. He would Joe fail. Yeah, so this it's a it's a soft Joe pass. This it's like song, a forty five percent. Like he needed the fifty percent to pass, uh, but he's he is a pass, Joe pass. Yeah, this song is just a Joe pass. Like it's not a hard Joe pass, a soft Joe pass. It's a middling. It's a with the six nine. No, no, the, uh, a pop uh, star by yeah. So. Uh, do you want to give your analysis of this song first? And then I want to talk about DJ Kelly. <laughs> I, I thought the song was fun. Uh, I mean, at least I, like I, I only watched it in the video form. I thought the video was fun. The song, I, I didn't really think too much about it. Uh, for Drake's contributions, I thought Drake was fine. I don't think it's Drake's best. I don't think it's his worst. Um, the having Justin Bieber in the video out of nowhere was kind of random, but it was kind of it felt like a uh, a funny uh, kind of scenario that they set up or uh, you know script I guess that they went with for this video, mm-hmm. uh, and I liked that about it. I mean, I would rather watch a weird sitcom where DJ Khaled just leaves a lot of obnoxious. FaceTime voicemails on Drake's phone and Drake is like really annoyed about it. I'd rather watch that than uh, listen to this song on its own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's a Joe Pass for sure, but I I thought the video was fun. It it was uh, an interesting uh, way to, to promote that kind of song. Yeah, I will say that I thought the first three minutes, because my God... The scenario yeah. <laughs> that occupied the the preamble to this song uh, like lasted for a song yeah. length. 
yeah. I thought that it was that was an eight minute video. I absolutely agree that that scenario that leads you into that song is it's more entertaining part. than the song itself, yeah. especially uh, Drake. Uh, you know, you know, in, evoking so his like, acting chops. Yeah, he he had to dig deep back to his Degrassi roots to to pull off that performance. Yeah, and then actually, and he, said, <laughs> he just seemed like he fucking hated. Like fuck this guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> Why does he bring me into this shit? <laughs> yeah, and so uh, you know, I want to be charitable when it comes to DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled is not really a performer. You know, as I'm sure you know, he's he's more of a brand, really. The yeah, I know nothing about DJ Khaled other than he says the name DJ Khaled like yeah. in some of his songs. Yeah, it's 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 a brand, right? So it, yeah. he's not really performing. I think right. It's it's maybe fair to say that he's a producer because producer is a pretty amorphous term, as I'm sure we've discussed in previous podcasts. Yeah. You can pretty Wait, much so call he yourself. He doesn't do any vocals other than saying his own name. Pretty much. That's yeah. that's. So that was all Drake doing the vocals. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. So I thought Drake was fine in his performance. I mean, it wasn't like amazing or anything, but yeah. it was okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it it's is a hip hop performance. Like this is not a contemporary mm-hmm. R and B song. Like a lot of other Drake songs are. Yeah. Uh, in this case, uh, it was cool because, you know, like I've mentioned before, when it comes to hip hop, when you're transitioning over from contemporary R and B to hip hop, you almost have to put on more of an analytical mindset and evaluate the lyrics as opposed to the musical content, which, uh, you know, I mean, it's not. I'm not a huge fan of that because it almost makes it more poetry than music in a sense. But mm. you know, like full stop. Uh, that's not a full stop right there. I think that you know, there's a you know decent ambiguity between you know music and rap and beat poetry and all these things. They're they're not there's there aren't like hard boundaries, and I don't think there should be. Right, but. Um, you know, the song was fine. I thought that the wordplay was fine. Overall, it's just one of many songs that kind of glorify the the lifestyle of the pop star, which, you know, is is fine because it kind of invites you into the glamour and the glitz of that lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's it only works on that kind of superficial level where uh, it's challenging and transgressive. You know, I think it's this song's about like, you know, alludes to drugs because I think this song is like, I'm a pop star, not a doctor. That's one of the lyrics. And he's talking about, you know, pushing pills and stuff like that. You know, it, it works on that level where you could, if you're like a little bit transgressive, then, uh, you know, you're automatically invite invoking that kind of darker aspect and that more, you know, uh, anything you would associate with, you know, fame and, uh, fortune and that kind of thing. So, uh, it works on that level, uh, but as I was saying, I think DJ Khaled, going back to DJ Khaled, I just want to I want to talk about the phenomenon of DJ Khaled because, like I said, I think it maybe is fair to say that he's a producer because you can technically say that anybody who is in the room is a producer because the term yeah. producer is so amorphous. You can just get give anybody a producer credit. I'm uh, a producer. Yeah, although in hip hop, I would say. Um, uh, I would hip in hip hop. I would say the term producer has a little more of a specific meaning, as in somebody who actually uh, creates beats. Like Kanye is con- yeah. considered a, a producer in the more strict hip hop sense. Uh, and in fact, a lot of analyses that I see of DJ Khaled and the phenomenon that is him say that he is not a producer for that reason. But I think it's because 
there's a differentiation between a hip hop producer and a record producer. Mm. Yeah, but so I, I think it's fair to say that he's a record producer. I'm not exactly sure what he does behind the scenes. But no, he's definitely not a performer. I will say what I think he does behind the scenes. My theory is that the obnoxious parts of the video where he was like leaving FaceTime voicemails for Drake is exactly what he does. Like that's yeah. his full job is him being yeah. like, come on, man, we made this song. We need to have a video put out. That's essentially his job. Or he's like, come on, beat creator. We're working on this song with Drake. I need you to make the beat. Like he's kind of a manager of his own brand. Yeah. And that's fine if that's what he does. And I feel like uh, Drake's role in the video was probably very much inspired by his real life reaction of like, this was just a song that I performed on. I don't give a fuck about the video. Make Justin Bieber do it. Yeah. And I've, you know, I feel like Justin Bieber was well equipped to deal with that because I feel like he has been subsumed into the whole stardom thing as well. I mean, he's no longer that innocent, you know, small kid that, you know, he's, he's much more of the transgressive pop star archetype. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it works like for baby, him. baby, baby. Oh, yeah, you know what's funny is like we were talking about does he still perform that song and then in the video he has that as his ringtone. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was a nice touch. I'll admit, I'll admit. Yeah, like they they uh, did some goofs like that. Yeah, times. and I think in the lyrics they mentioned something about like a Bieber face or something. Yeah, like this they, is they one a few little little things in there. This is one instance where I think that as we've discussed in the past as well the production quality and the conceptual basis for the actual music video itself surpasses the uh, music. Because yeah. the last Drake single that we discussed, I thought had the same thing where the music video was just pure eye candy. It was extremely entertaining to watch. And this is like the same thing almost. The mm. uh, In music, uh, in music videos, they've almost taken on a cinematic quality as well. So, uh, and especially, uh, the, the weekend, uh, his most recent album and the, uh, hit single blinding lights, right. had that, uh, you know, Las Vegas, uh, you know, a very kind of Paul Thomas Anderson or Martin Scorsese, uh, you know, cinematic quality to it, uh, which I think is probably itself also a big trend in, in music videos, because I think there's, it's probably more so a budgetary thing. But wow, like the music videos that I've seen, especially for pop songs that I would otherwise not pay attention to, uh, they're great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's all I wanted to say. Okay. Uh, shall we proceed with some Get Wrecked, Nerd? Get Wrecked, Nerd! Get Wrecked, Nerd. So the album that I would like to wreck, to for you to get wrecked with, uh, I'm you may be familiar with this album, but we'll see during my wrecking the reckoning. Uh, so the album is Time In by Dave Brubeck. Are you familiar with that album at all? Yes, I am. I have not listened to it though, so I'm glad you're. Oh, you're aware of it by reputation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this. Uh, so I guess. Brubeck did an amount of albums that were in the Time series, probably the most famous one being Time Out. I will say probably Time Out is my favorite of 
the time albums and then there's time further out there might be one or two others and then there's time in i think time in was the last released one uh but i will uh make an argument that this is also very uh high up on that uh favorite of his albums does paul desmond play alto sax in this one too he does um so it is the Dave Brubeck quartet that performs on this one. Oh, sweet. Okay. Uh, and I think Dave Brubeck wrote all the songs, whereas I think on like Time Out, uh, I know Paul Desmond did, wrote an amount of those songs, and uh, but I think Dave Brubeck may be the the lead credit on all the songs. Yeah, Take Five, um, which is I think the most famous one, I think was written that's by Paul Desmond. Paul Desmond. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But and in this one, like when I think about the album, I don't remember there being the saxophone in it, but it's credited on Wikipedia. Like I, I very much think of it as a piano album with the drums and bass accompaniment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the quartet. Um, but it's a really fucking good album. Uh, it's got a lot of, uh, like I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm all about the, the chaos in music, mm-hmm. uh, especially jazz music. This feels like a good amount of chaos for certain songs uh, created from such a small uh, quartet. That's so uh, it mostly it comes down to kind of some of the uh, unusualness of the piano melodies for certain songs. Some of the songs that uh, come to mind as some of the highlights are Lost Waltz, um, Time In, and 40 Days. Uh, the whole album is a fucking Joe smash of an album, so I recommend it highly. Very based. Uh, so the album that I wanted to recommend for Get Wrecked Nerd um, actually is apropos what I was talking about with anthropological music. They are a Greek group called Avaton. So the album, I believe, translates to Unforeseen As It Was. They are a Greek uh, group. They formed in 1988 and they were active for a little while until 2002. Um they invoke elements of Greek folk music, but also uh, more older ancient you know, Greek music as well. And they do it in kind of a modern context. Like there are a lot of modern modern instrumentation, uh, like electric guitars, synthesizers, that kind of thing. And it's really interesting and very kind of challenging music as well. Uh, you know, from a you know ethnomusicologist perspective, it's. Uh, kind of a interesting blending of many kind of Greek folk and traditional music into a, you know, more contemporary setting, which I think is really cool. Uh, but yeah, Avaton, the album is called Unforeseen As It Was. Uh, if you don't read Greek, you might have trouble finding it because it, it's all in like Greek characters. But uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it is a Joe smash for me, of course, because I'm recommending it. Awesome. Shall we do some SoundCloud shoutouts? Where yeah, I will I say even... that my SoundCloud shoutout is retroactively the one I said earlier for EJ Suave. So that means it's you're up. The one I wanted to recommend was Kirk Wunos. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that properly. But um, Kirk Wunos is a, uh, I suppose you'd say a dungeon synth music. Uh, dungeon oh, synth okay. referred to, uh, you know, older video game music. That was oh, okay. you know, meant to uh, you know be played for you know older NES games stuff like that, and it's also yeah. uh, text-based adventures. Yeah, that kind of click. thing. 
uh, and it like it's you know music that is very uh, you know based around like old kingdoms and you know medieval serfdom and that kind of stuff. So it all has that kind of uh, you know tonal quality to it. It's really cool stuff. There's one that I like called "Blossoming of a Tranquil Era." Sounds like it. Uh, it actually has. Uh, I'm not sure if it's probably a real lyre. Probably not. But it is a synth lyre, uh, which is really cool. Fucking liar! <laughs> <laughs> you liar! Okay, oh, so shit. that about wraps up this episode of the Spin This Podcast. If you're listening to this after September 18th. That means that the ninth anniversary of the cult classic film The Bridge has happened, and there may or may not, but by that I mean there probably is already released, the special retroactive producer's commentary of The Bridge, which we haven't recorded yet, but we're doing in a couple minutes. One of the hidden episodes. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Spin This Podcast. I've been spinning, 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 Sam, and I'm joined by... Aiden. That's me spinning. Uh, And you have also been spinning, and you will spin again. Hell yeah.